Well, there's just over a week to go in this federal election campaign. A lot has happened this past week. The leaders met twice to debate in front of a national audience, and the polls continue to suggest this race is close. Today, I'm excited to talk about the campaign with someone who has managed messaging and advertising for national and provincial election campaigns. Welcome back to In Focus with David Coletto. I'm David Coletto. On this episode of In Focus, I'm joined by my very good friend, Dennis Matthews. Dennis is currently president of Creative Currency, an advertising agency affiliated with Enterprise Canada. He was the national marketing lead for the Conservative Party of Canada in the 2015 federal election and recently helped manage and com- communications and advertising for the come from behind winning Nova Scotia Progressive Conservative Party. We sat down a few hours after the federal party leaders debated in Gatineau to talk about the campaign, its highs and lows, what research can do to help inform advertising, and what his experience in Nova Scotia taught him about politics today. I hope you find this conversation interesting and useful. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for for joining the conversation. Um, This is going to be like our usual conversations. Uh, I I disclosed in the intro that we're very close friends. And so um, this will be a fun conversation. But despite you being a close friend of mine, you're also a really smart political mind and uh, a conservative. And so I wanted uh, and I'm not you're not just here because you're conservative, by the way. But I I think seeing this election through a conservative perspective, I think, is, is really uh, is really important. And so thank you for, for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. So let's start with the, with the campaign from your perspective. Um, you know, the, 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 the last leaders debate was last night. We are headed into the second last weekend. Advanced polling has started today. We're, we're recording this on Friday. What is your state of the race? Even not even from a polling perspective, this is a polling yeah. podcast, but from like where you see it. Yeah, well, we we got a real dust up here, and often you hear this line, "Well, campaigns matter," and and sometimes people on campaigns sort of say that to make themselves feel like they're playing a big a big role. But you know, this election wasn't supposed to be close. I, I think probably both you and I, even going back a couple of months ago, would have said, "Well, looks like Trudeau's kind of going to cruise to a majority here." That's at least what it looks like out there. And you know, here we are into a, a race with you know, uh, basically a week and change left. And I'm sure at some point you'll ask me or we'll get into like, what do we think is going to happen? And I'm not like, it's not clear. It it is, Mm -hmm. it's close. There's some, there's some signs that we're having a repeat of 2019, but like it's, it's really close. And if I put my conservative hat on for one second, you know, the Aaron O'Toole and the, and that campaign has exceeded expectations for sure. Like they've run a disciplined campaign, a, a good campaign. I mean, it hasn't been, no campaigns ever perfect, but, you know, they got off to a really, really good start and they put themselves in the, in the mix and now they've got a shot at it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I was for, I was quoted as saying, this is as good a time as ever for the prime minister, call the election. All the numbers are good. And then within a week, it doesn't, didn't look so good. Anymore. Somebody will use that quote against you at some point. I'm maybe. sure. And I'm okay we'll with it. Yeah, yeah. Hold me accountable. But, yeah. but like, I wasn't the only one who thought that because no, clearly Mr. Were. Trudeau's you know, polling team thought so too. Yeah. And I think, I think even everyone else was kind of, you know, aware that 
that the, the numbers look good, but perhaps underneath them, we should have been more aware that, um, you know, when I say the mood of the country was good in late July, early August, because they felt the country was headed in direction, it didn't mean, I think, that they were, the people were feeling good. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I've, I've come to realize is like, there's a, there's a, an exhaustion, a grumpiness, a like, just not, and like, no more. Like, and, yeah. and this election, I think, was thrust upon the country uh, at a time when people just needed to rest. Like, I don't know if, if you feel yeah. the same way. I've been exhausted for like a year. And this was the last thing I wanted to do um, or talk about. And I think, and I live this stuff and love it. Yeah. So imagine well, if you're just an average person. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can be happy with the government. You can be rooting for the government to do a good job on COVID or you can be rooting. I mean, I'm a conservative here. I was rooting for Trudeau to do a good job on COVID and vaccines and all this kind of stuff, obviously. And, and then you can not want to have an election campaign. And it's almost like we didn't get to that validation part of it. Like people were just sort of happy with where things were for a couple of minutes. And, you know, we saw this and I, I know we're going to talk about this in a minute in, in Nova Scotia and some campaign dynamics out there. But the lesson we're now seeing, and we saw a bit of it in Newfoundland, it's emerged a couple of times here, is that, you know, voters were that these these big spikes you saw in support during the pandemic, you know, they almost weren't real in a way like they were people were artificially parking their vote somewhere because they wanted their government to succeed. But then when you get into an actual real life scenario where you're okay, no, no, now you've got a choice, you can pick between these people the gap really disappears. And so I think one of the lessons we're all going to take for this campaign, however it ends is, you know, be careful when you're in a moment of crisis and there's a rally behind the flag moment. I, you can cash in on that moment if you're a, if you're a political actor, but you got to cash in when the time is right. You know, Oregon and BC cash in when the time is right. And, you know, if we had this campaign a few weeks earlier or a month or two earlier, we might be having a different discussion than we are today. And, and just to your point, you know, we always say campaigns matter and, and people use BC as the example of at the time a popular premier calls an unnecessarily early election and wins a big, huge majority. But that's also because he won the campaign, right? And mm-hmm. I think people who were, who I, I wasn't following it super closely, but my sense was the BC Liberal campaign and the BC Liberal leader wasn't lighting things on fire and making yeah. it making it hard in the same way that O'Toole's making it hard for Mr. Trudeau to just run away with this. Exactly. And, and yeah, there's, there's, you could have a whole discussion on the, the BC liberal campaign out there that the, the problems they had, but, you know, you, so you have a little bit of timing, but I think the bigger one is what you're onto here is, you know, tools running a good, competent campaign and the NDP, it was, what a disciplined campaign. I mean, they're not saying a ton. What they are saying is, you know, Trudeau's done a bad job and that he's not, that he's all talk, no action. And sometimes they say it in some very not nice ways through their advertising, <laughs> through through Singh himself. And so, you know, Trudeau, you're kind of stuck in this. It's been hard for him to find his voice, uh, hard for him to explain the campaign, hard for him to get on a message because he's he's been under attack on both sides too. Yeah. Um, one of the things, we're, we just launched a survey this morning. Um as we always do around the weekend. And for the first time, I I added a question asking people just how closely are you actually following this campaign? We ask how interested you are, and that's different than how closely you're following it because people could be interested in politics um, and and they might even admit to being, they have to be interested in an election. But when we ask them how closely they're following it, only 17% right now, and it's not a final survey, but these numbers aren't gonna fundamentally change. We've got 800 responses at this point. 17% 17% say they're only they're following it very closely. Mm-hmm. 65% say 
I'm not paying much attention to this or I'm not following it at all, which when I tried to go back and see comparative measures in previous elections, it feels like nobody is really paying attention to this. And Mm -hmm. we're only almost a week away uh, from E-Day and people could vote this weekend. And so it had me thinking that that data point reflects anecdotally what I feel in my own circle of friends, in my family, in my neighbors, that even my, my team at Abacus, we're like, we work on this stuff all the time. I asked my team just earlier, how do you feel about the debate? And it was like pulling teeth to get them to talk about it because they just didn't seem that interested. And yeah. this is a polling firm we're talking about. This is what we do. <laughs> so a few questions on that. One is, do you, do you, do you get the same sense? And then two, from a campaign strategy perspective, how do you design comms and, and, and advertising and, and digital strategy if that is the environment you're, you're in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's, what's interesting here is we often talk in election campaigns about going after low-information voters. Like these are sort of sometimes the holy grail, the people who don't really pay a ton of attention. How do you dangle something in front of them that um, gets them excited and gets them to vote for you? And sometimes it's splashy things like a GST cut or I'm going to scrap photo radar or whatever, whatever the issue is of the day that you can kind of do something to, to shake those people. We're in an election now where it's like almost the entire public is low information voters. They're just picking up little things here and there. And the pandemic that exhaustion you were just talking about, all of those things have compounded a trend that was already happening anyways, where it's just, it's, there is no national water cooler. There's no, everybody's tuning into the same newscast to see Peter Mansbridge at nine or 10 PM. And, and everybody gathers around and one bad news story can shift the campaign. I mean, I think you could have, you can afford mistakes now in ways that you couldn't, and you don't get rewarded for, for good days as much as you, you used to. And so you sort of add this COVID summer and all that kind of stuff into it. It's just a busy news environment. People are exhausted. It's, it's hard to punch through. And so, you, you know, I often say you know, politics is about branding your, you know, yourself and your opponents and all that. And I almost think we are in a bit of a world where it, your brand in a way matters a bit more because people aren't seeing the specific sort of day-to-day, uh, the day-to-day pieces. Now, O'Toole, nobody really knew him coming in. So he's found a way, I guess, a little bit to, uh, to punch through. But it's, man, it's really difficult. Yeah, you mentioned water coolers. There's also like actually fewer people at real hmm. water coolers because so many people still are working from home, right? Especially yeah. office settings. So hmm. that that dynamic also is is different in that it, you do, you're not around your coworkers and your family as much, even though you know we're doing more of it now than we would have say a few months ago. But if you know if I'm not having random conversations with my colleagues because I'm not sitting beside them in an office. I don't do it on yeah. Zoom or in, in meetings, right? So there's just less conversation probably happening between people about this. And even if they are interested in it, they, there just may not be as many opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think you add a, you add another sort of piece on to, onto that. And this is something that, you know, commercial marketers face all the time is they, they don't have an ability to get their their products out in front of as many people as easily. There's not like, you know, people aren't watching a big episode of MASH or something like that, where you can make your ad and, and get everything in. But, you know, you, you do get these inflection points. People actually naturally want to talk about the campaign. Mm-hmm. Maybe we solve some of those things like debate nights would be one of them. And then we had sort of a bit of a snoozer debate night in terms of there was no moments there that people were like, have to talk to people about afterwards or find a way to, to talk about them afterwards. So, you know, I do think there's, there's 
it's a it's a real challenge. And maybe another one I'd add on on to this here is that we're in this this weird kind of Twitter political commentary zone in the campaign where the conversation about the campaign takes place with a small group of people and they seem to get on one path. And it's what do tools say about guns today or abortion and that ministers are tweeting things out to then the media are asking in the next scrum and there's this big back and forth. And when you look at your polls and the issues people care about, like, you know, affordability being a huge one and you have an entire campaign where, you know, the incumbent party who's trying to win a majority isn't even talking about those issues because they're on, you know, the, the sort of attack elements of the campaign. In the bubble, in the bubble kind of stuff. Right. And I think that you know, we were talking a little bit more, we were just talking before, like a, a number of people in the last day have asked me, what is the impact of Francois Legault, the Quebec premier's intervention yesterday before the debate, more or less endorsing, you know, an Aaron O'Toole minority. And I, I, I hypothesis, I was like, I'm not sure it couldn't matter. It could not. But then you said something really smart to said, like, how many people will even know that that happened? Right. Like to back to the point, if, if something happens and no one sees it or hears it or is aware, did it actually happen in a political campaign? Because mm-hmm. we're all tuning it out or we're not watching as much news or even if we are, we're not really like digesting it because uh, election like fog goes on and I t- pick up my yeah. phone and I you know, look at some pictures of, of cats or dogs or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's a really important point. If the, if the country's tuning out, if they're not engaged, meaning, um, and, and so back to your point about brand brand matters more than in an environment where it's harder to change people's opinion because they're not listening or they're not mm-hmm. attentive. Right. Yeah. So I'm just building off what you're saying that, that, that to me leads me to a hypothesis that if we are at a stalemate right now, in terms of the polls, and where people support is the most likely outcome then seems to me that nothing's really going to change in the next 10 days. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that because people are kind of locked in, not because they are locked in because they don't want to change their mind. It's that it's going to be hard for parties to, to mobilize people to, to actually think about this. Yeah. And this is where, you know, how many people are really truly left undecided at this point and do they break differently than the average in the, in the country, Our entire academic sort of studies have been, have been written on this kind of stuff. But, you know, it comes down to, you know, the the tactical elements of the campaign are going to be huge. Who's actually getting their vote out, where supporters are, are motivated. And this is where the election call, I, I really struggle to imagine a scenario where somebody walks into a ballot box and says, I'm mad that there's a campaign right now. And so I'm voting against somebody I always vote for. Like, that's hard to imagine that happening. That said, I do see out there, there's, it's, it's this backdrop to the whole thing. And it, yeah. Trudeau, he, he has this, you know, like this, this cele- he's a celebrity, right? I mean, that's the only way to describe him, really. And so he's never been held accountable to the normal political rules. And that's why he gets away with things, you know, whether it's a blackface, some of the, the wee scandals, other things, he's able to weather them because he's just not judged by those, those metrics. And the problem with the election campaign is that came crashing down. Like this was his call very clearly, very obviously. And I think for a lot of people, they're like, wow, he's just another politician after all. And, you know, does that... I mean, campaigns come down to a tiny things, right? Like if he loses 2% enthusiasm from his supporters, he's done, right? Game like, over. you know, it's just, so, right. you know, I'd, I'd add that into the low information, this whole mix we're talking about. So if people are less motivated, voter turnout is going to be lower. Campaign dynamics actually matter more. If you run a good get out the vote program, if you if you do things that are that are going to motivate folks. I, um, on that, on that, you sort of read my mind, I was going to talk about the election call because, We've asked the question 
three times in three different surveys. And now I'm asking it a slightly different way just to make sure that it is not affecting people's vote, or at least they're telling me it's not. It's different at what they tell me they're doing versus what it actually is, by the way. Research, by asking people questions, you don't always get the truth, not because they're lying, but because they actually don't know yeah. what something's impact is on them. But when we ask people, you know, what impact does this election call have on your vote? Only about 15% say, I will definitely not be voting liberal because of this, right? Mm-hmm. Now, to your point, most of those people are not liberals. They didn't vote liberal last time. Okay. They're probably not planning to vote liberal this time, but 5% of them are. And so if that's 1%, that's 1% off the liberal number. But 56 to 60% say, I'm annoyed that we're yeah. in this election. And so, if that, so in a way, it, they may not consciously be changing their mind. But if that, if we think of, and this is what you do day, every day, is breaking through the filter that people put on themselves or changing that filter. Like, mm-hmm. how do I consume information? We know partisanship's one way. We know other things affect how we consume information. If I start any interaction with someone and I am annoyed with them, <laughs> odds are I'm not going to like land in a positive way, right? Like if, yeah. if, if Dennis, you annoy me, if you're annoying yeah. me for something you did yesterday and then we have a conversation, I'm probably not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, exactly. On what you say to me. And I think that's how this campaign got started. And so he's never, he's never been given the benefit of the doubt, uh, the prime minister or the liberal yeah. leader. Uh, at any point during this campaign right now. Oh, and you add to that what I said a moment ago on on this being judged as a as a celebrity figure, being judged as a political figure, and it's moved him into that political figure column where, yeah, like people are annoyed and they're annoyed for sort of traditional political reasons. And we'll see, like, we'll see. I mean, I, I do think it's also Afghanistan gets tied into that mix too. And you had a couple of events happening that, again, aren't going to, you do a big post-election study. I don't think somebody's going to say the election color Afghanistan, but it colored their thinking of the campaign, right? Like we're in this horrible global moment. We're watching a country where a lot of people bought and died over, you know, fall and we're having an election. It just it adds to this mix, this bad taste where, you know, you don't really want to listen to what he has to say because you're, you're annoyed. So it's, it was a, a big miscalculation, this campaign. We'll see what happens. I mean, maybe we're all wrong and, and your initial projection of a the time could have been better, it comes true, but it sure doesn't feel like it. Right? <laughs> it doesn't feel like that right now. And there's not much time mm-hmm. for that to change. Um, although all these sporting victories, if, the only thing that feels like 2015, remember in 2015, the Blue Jays made the playoffs. Yeah. There was this like energy in the country and excitement about them. And then at the same time, the liberals kind of took took off and that they had that great ad at the end and like you had this like mm-hmm. aha time for change and yeah. we're, we're back in the playoffs like canada's back um i'm not saying that's that's materializing here with you know you know leila fernandez and the jays winning like nine eight in a row or whatever but mm-hmm. anyways you never know the power of sports to uplift us and that often i think helps um insurgent campaigns yeah, the one thing I do look for in in polls, and this is totally in your world, but is is you know I, I'm of the belief some polls better than others, and some polls are better than others, and all that kind of stuff. No need to get lost in that discussion. But what is interesting is looking at momentum and seeing like you know it doesn't 
I'm less worried about what exactly is happening and more, is there some movement happening? I mean, you know, we see a little bit of movement with the PPC for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, is there, we saw early in the campaign, some fairly respectable movement of the conservatives, right? Uh, you know, yep. solidly out of the twenties into the, into the mid, mid thirties, mid low 30 range. Yep. And so I look for those kind of signals in particular at the, at the end, and you can only run that beautiful positive ad if you've got momentum and you're putting your foot on the gas and you know, maybe conservatives can look around that. I don't know. I don't quite see. I don't quite see the momentum piece there. It it seems to be at a bit of a, a plateau right now. Liberals, you certainly don't see that kind of that momentum there. And so I think we're headed to put my ad cap on for a second. I, mean, I think we're just headed to a nasty, nasty finish. I remember I turned off the debate last night. I thought to myself, well, it's up to the ads now. And you know, the ads are not pretty. A nasty tactical negative you know, mm-hmm. chip away kind of close as opposed to a, a crescendo with like a beautiful orchestra, right? Like yeah. this is more like guerrilla, guerrilla warfare instead of yeah, like and a big, beautiful air war kind of thing. And there's a bit of this, like campaigns would never say this or even think this, but it's like a little bit of like, if I can't have what I want, you can't have what you want either, right? Burn the whole and, village. You know, yeah. we'll burn it all down. And um, I've been, um, I've been, been going back and forth and I, I love your opinion on this. Um, so in our polling, we track desire for change. And mm-hmm. right now, our most recent poll on, the, on last weekend, um, and, and it's about the same right now in the, the current survey, about 49% of Canadians say they definitely want to change a government. Another 20% say they'd like change, but it's not all that important to them. Um, and that's just slightly below where it was in 2019, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you look at who people who say they definitely want to change are voting for, not surprising, Almost none of them are voting liberal. The, the conservatives get the biggest bulk of them because they're much more motivated and they're already they're much larger in terms of their vote share than the NDP. But I wonder, and this is back to this whole election call idea, right? Like how much has the focus and and relentlessness of O'Toole and Singh's argument against calling the election in the first place buffered their ability to actually call for change? Right. Because on the one hand, they're saying basically this is an unnecessary election and thereby you should still be prime minister, prime minister. Like Mm -hmm. we're fine with you continuing. But then on the other hand, it feels like to finally push, you know, the conservatives over the the mark, they need to convince a few more people, i.e. four or five percent more that it's definitely time for a change of government. Yet they've really never said that once in this campaign. Now, so am I being overly analytical or, or is there something there about like the mixed message that the conservatives and the new Democrats are saying about a time for a change? Well, you're making some interesting points. And this is where I personally struggled with the, you know, call it complaining about an election at the beginning of the campaign. And it happens every time. Right. But I always look at it as, you know, shouldn't you as an opposition party want to head to the polls and, hey, we've got this plan and that kind of stuff. I what. What is interesting is, you know, a lot of, and I've been on this, a lot of uh, campaigns and uh, have tried to take on Justin Trudeau and try to find a way to how do we, how do we, how do we crack uh, him because it hasn't been possible. And what I would say is that this unnecessary election narrative is is doing that right. It's it's found a way to make him vulnerable. And today's Liberal Party is the party of Justin Trudeau, right? Like it's you can't separate them. And so no attack had really landed on on Trudeau in, in years. And so this found a way to do that. The challenge is, you're right, it, it, it's not a natural 
segue to okay, probably not an unnecessary election. We should we shouldn't have a campaign. So now my plan. I I think conservatives have done a good job with this recovery plan, and it's you know too old. He's kind of got this man of a plan thing. I actually kind of liked it. You. He's got so much to say. You don't really absorb a lot of it, but you're like, well, he's always announcing something. He's talking about mm-hmm. something. This is where the NDP have struggled the most. You know, they are you know, on the unnecessary election path, and then you don't keep your promises. You don't. You don't um, actually get anything done. They've never, I, in my mind, made the second step there, which is here's exactly what we'll do, and that's where I think it's it's even if the NDP. You know, the, even if they have a decent night uh, coming up here, they're not going to have like a. a at least Nessa, we're missing something. You're not going to have some Jack Layton no, wave. No. I don't right? see a wave, an orange wave. Yeah, no. But I think, you know, the, the, yeah, the conservative campaign has used it less about the election. It's more, I think, a personal way to, um, to remove some of the aura that the Trudeau has insulated himself with over the years. I mean, it, it could also just be a, a very effective way to, to sort of not, I, I use the word suppress, not like they're, they're actually trying to suppress the vote, like in some ways that, you do by changing mm-hmm. the law around voting, but suppress mm-hmm. it in the sense that if you just keep, you know, reminding people of how enthusiastic they are about this call, then maybe they just stay home, right? Maybe, yeah. and, and by default, because conservatives agree on one thing, if they, any, if they agree on anything anymore, they agree on their dislike for Justin Trudeau, yeah. that that's enough to mobilize enough of them to come out and vote, right? So even yeah. if there's no broad desire for change, deep desire for change across the country, <laughs> maybe by default you win because yeah. you put a plan in place that people say, okay, well, if, if you do by default choose change, we're ready, but yeah. you know, we shouldn't have this election in the first place. So anyways, I just, I just, I, again, there's, that's another indicator to me that like we're, we're headed towards this still stalemate kind of election. Like I, I don't see a, a breakaway path um, forming, yeah. but and there is, you know, there is, if you take also, you know, you got 300 plus or 338 ridings, but, you know, you got a lot of them here where Greens used to do well, you know, their campaign, total failure to launch, PPC rising. So you got these unknowns there. Then you've got the unknown on liberal motivation. It's just, you add this in, it's, I, you know, I think we'll see day or two before, but it, this is a hard one to predict in ways that it's usually not. Now we, um, we have a case study that you were deeply involved in that I think Maybe there's some lessons here. Um, the Nova Scotia provincial election happened also in the summer, also, you know, during a pandemic, although it, thankfully for Nova Scotia wasn't as bad, I think, than in other parts of the province. But nonetheless, there's always the risk. And we saw what happened yeah. in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, you were a senior strategist advisor to the Progressive Conservative campaign. And the new premier there, Tim Houston, came. I mean, there wasn't a lot of polling, but I think I'm sure there were some internals he was well back when it started and he yeah. won a majority, right. Um, and defeated a long standing, what seemed relatively popular when it started liberal government. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can we learn? What can listeners learn from that experience through your eyes that might help explain what's happening or not happening at the yeah. federal level right now? Yeah. So, you know, back to that, how we opened this discussion on, you know, campaigns mattering. Uh, the Nova Scotia PC party was 28 points back in a poll in, in the spring. And so they really closed a seemingly insurmountable gap. And the early start of that campaign felt a lot like the start of the federal election campaign. I, I was out in in Halifax for, for most of the election. 
and you'd walk around the city or you'd, you'd take a drive around or something. You didn't see a ton of signs. You're listening in the coffee shop. People are talking about Afghanistan or other things. Like nobody was, you didn't hear that chit chat you'd expect to hear about a, a campaign. So we had, again, another low information campaign, which I think made it hard to predict, you know, where it was, was going to go. And the you know, liberal campaign had some eerily similar, you know, missteps. I think they took a lot of things for granted. They, you know, they'd gone through some turmoil in terms of their campaign staff and whatnot. So they didn't run a, a great campaign. It had two big public missteps. But on the on the conservative side, you know, it was a lesson in being disciplined, disciplined. And all of our public opinion research, all of our polling, the focus groups we did, it kept coming back to healthcare. And, you know, you had 70 plus Nova Scotians on a wait list for a, a family doctor and I mean, easier to get a pizza delivered than an ambulance to your house. Like there's some real, you know, challenges out there. And people will tell conservatives, well, you can't campaign on healthcare or something. It's not your type of issue. That's a liberal issue. And, you know, we realized, look, we can't win this election without winning on this issue and had a very simple campaign construct around solutions for Nova Scotians as a campaign slogan and allowed us to talk in a problem solution matrix the entire campaign and a policy platform that backed that up and a leader that really delivered on 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 the campaign trail but the big lessons i take from it are these polling numbers are in a bit of an illusion which is what we've seen federally now as well things get tighter when you're actually in a in a choice the liberals were probably never as high as they seem to be in in that spring and second if you're on an issue that people are really seized with and you seem like you've got the solutions for that, people are going to take a shot on you. And I, this is where I think the parallel to the federal campaign is affordability and cost of living. I mean, things are, we went through this lumber and trying to renovate your house, that kind mm -hmm. of stuff, skyrocketing groceries. It's unaffordable for people to buy a, a home in the, in the major markets. I, these are like, this is where people are focused on. It's just nobody, and maybe the conservatives are, and it seems like there's some signs they are, Nobody's really unlocked that in a way that Tim Houston did with healthcare, where he presented a credible plan and people said, wow, I'm, I'm giving a shot on this guy because that's what I care about. Federally, you see it on affordability, but what's the second issue? I, I don't, you know, there's some stuff on, I know you've done a lot of work on the environment and, and climate. You know, there's there's some stuff there. I haven't seen, you know, the problem healthcare's, is- Healthcare is also on the list, but yeah. it's hard for a federal politician to talk about healthcare because yeah. Quebec always will yell and scream about it as we've seen. This yeah, campaign. yeah, no, totally. So I think, you know, you run a good, competent campaign, but but really it's it's uh, this this COVID polling was a bit of an illusion in, in where the party stood before. This is it was destined probably to be closer. You know, you run a good campaign on the issue people care about. You're going to get a good you're going to get a good result. Interesting. Um, just a few more more points and then then we'll wrap up. This has been uh, we didn't even touch on half the questions I had, but that's OK. This has been really, really good. Um, in some of the polls that have come out over the last few days, particularly the telephone automated polls, the People's Party of Canada, as we were talking about, seems to be the party right now that has some momentum in, mm -hmm. in some of the polls. I don't see it quite yet, and, and the online polls aren't picking it up. It could be a methodological thing. Listen to Eric Grenier's podcast for a deep dive on that. I'm not going to replicate that here. Yeah. Um, but I'm just curious, you know, uh, of, of your thoughts on that phenomenon, because I'll, I'll just set up my thoughts on it. I think um, when this campaign started, it's clear the Liberals thought they could wedge um, vaccinations and they continue to bring it up. And they, I think they still believe it. Um, but what it also seemingly has done is those who 
the 80% who are vaccinated and support mandatory vaccines or vaccine passports, they're telling me in the surveys, it's all, it's not all that important to their vote. They don't see really a distinction between the major parties, even if the liberals are trying to make Mr. O'Toole seem, you know, vastly different, but, but Max Bernier's view is it's, it is completely outside of the mainstream. To me, that was like the perfect storm to create a platform for him to, to find, Mm. you know, eight to 10% of the population. Um, What do you think that means? And what perhaps is the longer term impact on, on the conservative kind of coalition? Because not all of these people are are conservative voters, by the way, but when we look at our survey and I pull all our sample together of those that say they would vote people's party today, about 40% or so say they voted conservative last time. So it's a significant part of that coalition is now at least temporarily former conservatives. Um, is, is, is a Max Bernier kind of far right people's party a permanent fixture now in Canadian politics? Um, or do you think this is just a temporary blip because of the pandemic and it's, and the issues it created? Yeah. It depends on the outcome of the election. And what I mean by that is winning can solve a lot of problems on the conservative side. Uh, you know, Stephen Harper held the party together for, you know, more than a decade, the decade in power with not a lot of problems because people, you know, they, he's their guy. Nice to have your, your team in, in power. You're, you know, you're implementing a conservative agenda may or may not be perfect, but you feel like it's a lot better than what the other guys would do. And the challenge for, you know, O'Toole right now is, you know, he's made a big play for the center. He's sort of made a deliberate choice to leave the right flank a little bit unguarded in a, in a play to sort of solve some of the issues that the party has faced in terms of a vote ceiling and, and that kind of stuff. And so he's, you know, he's left his, his right flank a little unguarded and probably didn't have a choice. Like I, I see what they're trying to execute. Um, the, the question will be if we're a couple of days out from the campaign here and it looks like Aaron O'Toole's got a shot, do that part of the People's Party, that 40% you're talking about, do they say, this is my chance to get rid of Justin Trudeau. And so I'm holding my nose. I'm voting for an O2. I think there's a good chance that comes back to my point of winning, right? Like when Harper held it together because he was winning, if Aaron Tool looks like a winner, that's how I think he, he holds that together. If the party doesn't win, um, you know, yeah, I think the people's party is, is a threat. You know, I don't know that it's existential at this point, but it's a, it's a challenge. And I think, I think a lot of, casual observers or the political class have looked at the PPC and they see the protests at the Trudeau events, the rock throwing, that kind of stuff. That's all bad. Take a look at some of the rallies that Max's Bernier's had. And you look at the audience there, it's not the same. You know, there are, are people who, you know, look like normal sort of folks who go to political events, you know, they have a look, they're always a little bit older, they bring the lawn chairs, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, these aren't, these people that may be frustrated with whether it's vaccine passports, the system, whatever the country you know, like they, they're a part of the conservative coalition and, and big tent conservatives win. And, you know, you win when you bring all these people in together and, and winning will solve a lot of that. So to answer your question, I, I think it's afterwards, it's, it's more of a problem. If Aaron O'Toole doesn't win, if he wins, this may solve itself easier than people right. think. Right. I also think, you know, it's really interesting that you, you, you sort of describe the demographics of, of who's showing up and who's engaged because, the People's Party really is the only party now offering people like a true protest vote too, hmm. right? Like in many ways, if you watch the debate last night, although they were yelling and screaming at each other, 
there's a lot of similar, like there's not a whole lot of difference in policy or, you know, th- th- there is, and, and I'm not downplaying the differences across the parties. It, you know, if you believe in climate change, you will, you will yell and scream at me that yes, there's a big difference. But for somebody who's looking at those five leaders and then looking at what the People's Party is saying, it's a completely different, uh, you know, op- uh, offer. Um, and some people just like voting for the underdog and the guy who's saying the crazy stuff just because why not? Like we need yeah. some crazy sometimes. Anyways, um, I think that's, I think it's a really interesting dynamic that, again, I don't know if it's as big as some of the polls are saying, we'll, we'll, we'll find out in a week and a bit, but it certainly could have some impact on, on the outcome. Okay. So to wrap up, uh, this has been uh, so interesting. Um, I have so many final questions. I guess let's just end with how do you see if you were advising both, let's just do the two main parties. If you were advising, much more likely to be advising the conservatives, but let's say you were also advising the liberals, both of them. What are you, what are you looking for in, in any research that might be done to give you a sense of what they need to do now to kind of close the deal? Because I think we both agree, neither of them have any momentum right now. Now, we don't know if the debates created any, but what do you need to do to create any momentum? Or as you said, is it just about hoping you, you, you sort of tear the other person as far down as you can, because that's, that's the only way forward. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to split into the two on, on the conservative side, you know, they've got, they've done a, they've got some, they've got some great ads during this campaign that have, that have centered the election on affordability in their voter universe. You know, you've got the, the spot with the punching the screen. You've got this, this play they're making the last couple of days here on liberals will tax your, your, the sale of your house. You know, I think they're on to this staying on affordability and finding a way to amplify that with paid advertising. And Aaron O'Toole is, is not scary men with a plan. Mm-hmm. Like they've actually, I would say it's more of what they've been doing. Just, you got to turn the volume up, you know, on the, on the liberal side. I mean, this is, I, if I was sitting in that campaign, it's it's a decision of, okay, are we going to try to go for this? Or are we protecting what we have? And if it's a protecting what we have scenario, this is where, you know, it's it's more attack ads, which is, by the way, a big departure for Trudeau, promised never to run them, didn't believe in that type of campaigning, you know, been forced down that avenue. So it's, it's if you're trying to protect what you have, I think it's more of that. Try to, to find whatever seeds of doubt you can with Aaron O'Toole, who voters still probably don't know as as well. So he's susceptible to that. And really, you know, hitting on that in a way that invites the NDP to come back into your tent to stop, you know, Aaron O'Toole. But if you're thinking, hey, we've actually got a legitimate shot at this thing for the for the liberals, I think it's finding a way to capture a little bit of what gave them that momentum before it's it's a different worldview than conservatives it's a energy and enthusiasm that that trudeau has it's they've got some interesting policies and plans they just haven't really found a way to to talk about them and and i you know i know you do a lot of millennial research and you see this with with gen z's too i mean they just want stuff done you know and they want they're okay to crack a couple eggs along the way like they're looking for us to build things and do things and and for some reason the liberals have lost a little of that um, along the way. And Trudeau's well positioned to recapture it, but we've got, you know, a week and a bit left. It's, yeah. it's probably too late. I was always wondering, you know, do you remember in the 2014 Ontario election? Uh, is it 2014? No, it's the one McGinty won a minority 2013 mm-hmm. up against Tim Hudak, the first Tim Hudak campaign. Do you remember that ad that, that McGinty ran where he's just standing in, in, in that white screen and he's like, look, I know I'm not the most popular guy out there. Yeah. Yeah. 
but here's what I've done, right? Yeah. It almost feels that, and again, I'm, this is my, my, my thoughts. I don't know if it's advice, but one of the things people I think find really frustrating about the prime minister is that he's never, he's never really admitted making a mistake, right? People really were angry at him over SNC because he never apologized really. Yeah. He never, he never, you know, took accountability for a bad decision and a bad number of decisions, right? And so maybe it's definitely too late now, but it almost felt like a week ago, if he had tried to reset and say, look, I know, I know I've, I've frustrated you by calling this election, but we're in an election now. And so now the choice is, do you want him or do you want me? Because these yeah. are the only two choices. Instead, yeah. yesterday, even in the debate, he kept re- trying to justify the election call as opposed to telling people, I, I understand you're annoyed with me and I'm sorry. Um, and maybe I shouldn't have called this election, but we have an election now and I can't yeah. go back. So you've got yeah. to make a choice. I, you know what I mean? Like it, they, they keep trying to push back on this. Is this is the most important election ever. And instead just say, okay, allow people to, 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 to get that little thing off their shoulder and then move on to actually making a choice. I, yeah. A lot of campaigns have tried that. I mean, we, we tried that similar ad with, with Harper and 15 obviously didn't, you know, it didn't work, but um yeah, it's, it just feels like this is the you know, liberals have really got themselves in a box on this because it's it's hard to say it's the most important election since the Second World War. And meanwhile, I'm just running a bevy of attack ads on my opponent on guns, abortion and and every, everything else. It's like, well, you called an election to attack your opponent. Like it's it's like there's a disconnect there. And and which is where and I come is, back. To- I was just gonna say this is where research, I think, so comes in. If you're saying it's the most important election ever and nobody thinks it is then you got a lot of work to do to convince them that and you don't have enough time in a 36 day campaign in which you had full control over calling. Right. So like if I had asked Canadians, do you think this moment, this election is the most important in your life? (laughs) I don't think there's very many people who say yes to that. And yet he keeps saying it and nobody in there, like at some point you have to say things people actually think too. That 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 campaign is about persuasion, but it's also about confirmation of what people Perceive yeah, thing, right? You've got to be relevant. Like relevance is the word to underline in everything, right? Like it's it's how you unlock voters, it's how you get attention, all that kind of stuff. If you're not relevant, then you know you're out of the game. And and yeah, calling it the most important election when it's clearly you haven't run a campaign that matches that is is a disconnect. Well, I am not going to ask you to predict the outcome because everyone does that to me, and I never know until we know closer to it. But I, I know one thing: it's going to be close and. Uh, this has been a really fun chat. I think we, we, we dug into some things in, in, in more thoughtful way than you can do in like a 10 minute or five minute interview. So uh, thanks for taking some time on a Friday afternoon at the chat. It was good to see you. Perfect. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Dave.